0: Hello, and welcome or welcome back to the Technicast. This is the second in a series of guest shows produced by me, Joe Dukes, on behalf of the Outsiders 2022 organising group. Outsiders was a postgraduate and community conference, bringing together those working to support LGBTQ+, BIPOC and other communities, campaigning for change and liberation, or researching for a PhD in and around queer studies. In the previous episode, I spoke with Laura Bullersbach and Rebecca Malore, assistant curators at the Science Museum, who shared how they, as queer archive workers, see things queerly in museum collections. In this episode, which is also taken from our panel on vision, perception and outsiders, James Chantry makes art as a form of queer reproduction and gets stuck in, sometimes literally, the queer Lincolnshire Fenlands. Their piece connects long-gone countryside paths with present-day liminal spaces and dives headfirst into the experimental work of queer gestation.
1: Supernatural fiction, in particular the ghost story, and science fiction, have been an outlet, coded or otherwise for queer expression. Gothic horror embedded the notion of the outsider, monstrous same-sex attraction, lust and sin. The Victorian Edwardian ghost story featured the repressed yearnings of the lone male, often in landscapes of marsh and coast. His fear and desire materialised through spectral manifestations. In E.F. Benson's story The Thing in the Hall, 1912, Two gentlemen dabble in the fashionable, spiritualist practice of table-turning. This results in the production of a large, slug-like thing. The manifestation can be read as phallus and baby. The male spiritual mediums of the era, known for their production of matter, were largely homosexual and found new freedoms in gender transgression through their mediumship. The spiritualist medium Leslie Flint was famed for his direct voice mediumship and he gained a celebrity status throughout the 1960s and 70s. He claimed to produce a skin-like ectoplasmic being that attached to his person and acted as a voice box for the dead through his child spirit guide Mickey. Often the spectral visitor was a famous female such as Marilyn Monroe. Flint and Mickey, through the manifested organ, performed what could be likened to a spirit drag show. The molly houses of 18th century Britain were brothels that provided a community for queer male sex workers. They were illegal but largely tolerated. Mock labour and birth rituals were commonplace, attributed to an expelling of anxiety. We can trace supernatural ideas of male pre production to the second century. Lucian of Samosata, in A True Story, a work of proto science fiction, contains all male races that reproduce through gestation in the thigh from sodomy and also burying testicles in the ground and harvesting babies from the resulting tree that grew. Throughout my research and art making I have attributed the queer body to land and particularly the Lincolnshire Fenland I was born and grew up in. The land is liminal, in between and subject to constant change. In my experience gender roles and expectations were particularly determined and I have found power in the notion of queering the land. There is rich folklore in the Lincolnshire Fens that can be interpreted through the act of queering. As recounted by M.C. Balfour in Legends of the Cars, 1891, a group of all-male magical creatures, the Tiddy reclaimed the land and waterways for displaced people. This happened after the draining of the Fens for capitalist purposes in the 17th century and is comparative to the recent loss of queer spaces for the same reason. The Tiddymun are malevolent, benevolent, and can be interpreted as queer. The radical queer fairies performed a shamanic curse on the land in London. The gay club and sauna chariots had been forced to close due to property developers increasing rents to force a sale for multi-million pound apartments and offices. And we can see similarities in the shamanic ritualistic performances between the radical queer fairies and the Tiddymun. O oh, summer nights! They danced in the moonshine of the great flats, smeared on with blood and without a deal more on than on their passing bodies. A quote from Legends of the Cars and believed to have been told by an elder of the land. In my art making, I have explored various methodologies that relate to this research. They combine to propose the notion of art making as a form of queer reproduction and a utopian queer futurity. Darklins 2021 is a multi-channel video that uses digital montage to expound a rich, multi-layered film. In the first video, I worked with dancers in order to explore transmutation. The dancers responded to the land and also to spirit art and folklore readings. Their gestures were then interpreted by me as automatic drawings. This is an audio excerpt from Darklings. You are hearing dances and me, the artist, in symbiosis. We are in the Fenland water through river and marsh. The dancers perform whilst I draw, sculpt, and assimilate with the land. You will hear an incantation to summon the Tiddymun, and you will also hear found audio this is from discarded reel-to-reel tape, found in a fen village. O summer nights the danced eye, the moonshine oath the great flat smeared wee blood. Tiddy mun, we are a name. Here's water for thee. In the fen, tack the spell undone. Using montage techniques, dancer, artist and the Fenland itself merge and transgress. To quote Julia Kristeva, the philosopher from Powers of Horror 1980, I am in the process of becoming another at the expense of my own death. During that course in which I become, I give birth to myself without either wanting or being able to become integrated in order to answer to it it reacts, it abreacts, it abjects. And Julia Christieva's feminist writings have become integral to this form of art-making. Using fenland flour and cooking paraphernalia that belonged to my grandmother and great-grandmother, I produced dough sculptures. Actually working in the marsh and using the fen water, I produced and birthed offspring-like sculptures and to quote Julia Christieva once more, the same condemnation of hybrids and migrant beings can probably be read in the prohibition against leavened bread. In this production, in using dough and bread, I've explored the idea that the boundaries of the body become abject. Anything that comes out of the body is seen as abject and transgressive. The act of making in the land became a powerful and defiant act. Wearing furs belonging to my great-grandmother, a 20-foot pink cape made from discarded plastic flew high behind me in the marsh wind. What was once a cruising ground is now populated by dog walkers and holiday makers, their bemused faces pretending not to look as I pull the dough babies from beneath my skirts and nurse them, glitter shimmering in my beard. And to end with a quote from Jose Esteban Manoth, the late theorist. Queerness is that thing that lets us feel that this world is not enough.
0: James, thanks very much for this paper. It was, uh, you took us on a real audio journey through the Fenlands and it makes me so curious about your own relationship to this land and how that relationship has grown into something both academic and creative.
1: Sense of place and atmosphere was, was a really important thing when I was growing up. So living in a, in a place that's pancake flat is liminal, constantly subject to change, being such a almost like a, a barren landscape. You can you can walk into the fens some days and never see a human being, kind of all, all day, and also the historical aspects of Fenland, So abandoned radar stations from the war, which would obviously be kind of hangouts for people that felt like they're on the outside, particularly to huge radar dishes that formed to the ground kind of near the town I grew up in where people would kind of congregate who felt who felt different um lots of different aspects and then and then obviously having a connection to the the folklore as well and stories so when I began my PhD the focus was particularly on literature and it has actually shifted so I was very interested in MR James and E. F. Benson and how their portrayal of the East Anglian coast had a very charged queer-coded messages th- throughout them and an exploration of the land in a sense how that related to uh, lone people and lone males in particular and they were, they were particularly charged. The manifestations as well that are in this East Anglian coastline may particularly think about a BBC adaptation of *Whistle uh, Whistle and I'll Come to You in 1968 and the way that shot and the way the kind of the coastline and that East Anglian landscape is shot is particularly interesting in its reflection a uh, portrayal of um, loneliness and desire and closeted queerness as well. Drawing all of those things together the Fens kind of became really integral to what i was researching i did actually shift into it being having a biographical aspect to it it didn't at the beginning at all my research but as i as, as i researched and kind of traversed through these stories much was revealed and i found stories about male witches that were arrested on beaches in east anglia they were accused of summoning spirits to find buried treasure when you read kind of the arrest reports, and they're often often intermingled with arrest reports for, for sodomy and things like that. I'm talking about 14th, 15th century. There seems to be many instances throughout history in the Fenland and East Anglian coastline of hidden queer histories. I'm so
0: interested to hear a little bit more about these historical queer figures that you talk oh. about, not just in terms of like gay cruising practices, but both the mediums that you mention and like the Tiddy Munn. How are you able to like reconcile all of these documented instances of like queer bodies with desire and erotics and energies that you're describing?
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And my source material, particularly the Tiddy Munn, are stories that have been collected in the Victorian era from locals, from local people. And obviously that could it be, could be coincidental because of the the language that we now use when thinking about queerness and gay clubs and things that happen in the dark but it's it, on reading the descriptions they do come across as very queer there's there's so many instances of of grasping slimy hairy hands and manifestations that are, are phallic there's also the quote that that you will have heard heard earlier talking about naked bodies passing over each other and uh, and dancing in the moonlight so much of the language is reminiscent and makes you think of of queerness and and queer queer bodies. And particularly the Tilly Munn, where they're described as male, but kind of genderless. Uh, And there's also a connection to reproduction. So they're these magical kind of water creatures. And they're also claimed to look after the spirits of dead babies as well. Yeah, throughout those kind of folklore. And there's other folkloric tales in the Fens, such as The Dead Hand, where... It all, again, it seems to be lone males that go out into the fen at night. Um, it's like a, a warning of danger and then they're, they're grasped by these slimy and hairy hands. And then and then, kind of see that in literature, so in M.R. James' stories and E.F. Benson stories, men will come together and lone males and do something kind of risky. And then these manifestations that do have like a sensuality to them, you know, happen, happen in a supernatural way.
0: This kind of discussion can bring us on to how these things that weren't there get there mm-hmm. you mentioned mm-hmm. the supernatural and even i suppose the the art of storytelling in a folkloric sense which could bring us to this topic of gestation yeah and i wondered if you could expand on how you're thinking about and also creating moments of gestation and queer gestation another word you mention is transmutation and i wonder yeah if you can expand this kind of gestational universe <laughs> for us
1: an unusual connection, really, because I've, I've come to this via kind of what I've just been talking about, kind of via Marxist feminism, um, thinking about Shulamith Firestone, who said that um, women carrying babies was barbaric and and that we should be looking to the future of ectogenesis, of babies being able to be grown in, in sacks, like seeing in, in science fiction, and there should be artificial wounds. So I was thinking about speculative modes of queer reproduction um, and queer futurity and looking forward and how art making could be a speculative mode of queer reproduction. I could say that the, the literature and the stories is like a starting point, like a methodology of how can the artist or uh, an artist with with a group of people come together and work together to kind of, in your words, gestate and um, have something in an embryonic stage that's kind of uh, birthed as, as artwork. That was particularly pertinent with the automatic drawing and sculpture. And I have been filming scenes recently of uh, prosthetic kind of sculptures that will be that will be pulled from pulled from the body and using bread dough and there being like a, um, a collective firing and baking of this as well. So there's, there's like a collective act of coming together. So a community of queer and feminist people coming together to, to gestate and, and birth. There's artwork. Also, you're
0: drawing on these kind of local, sometimes forgotten or liminal moments where people come together, you know, to cruise or to do any number of other things. Yeah, I'm wondering whether you have any insight on these moments of coming together and whether they can be brought about, predicted, or whether they are kind of always best when they're spontaneous.
1: I suppose it's like a combination of of the two. So it's. Organizing some kind of happening, coming together, uh, and then there being kind of an open, uh, uh, you know, kind of emerging methodology of see, see yeah, like seeing what happens in that in that moment. All well, they're all it's ritualistic and and spell-like, and just the act of working together with people and seeing what happens and how people work together and kind of the energy, joy, but then on the other hand, kind of repulsion and. Yeah, the, the distasteful and monstrous in this sense, as well. I have kind of deliberately brought together queer and feminist practitioners and, and and artists, and have done that in white wall gallery spaces as well. These practices have happened, but they've happened in like traditional spaces. So that's been that's been an interesting development as well. The, the idea of the out, the outsider coming into this um, those kind of spaces, those established spaces, and using kind of ancient practices through a queer lens has been important. I suppose what's unusual in my practice thinking about this is that the video then becomes the artwork as well so I will document this kind of as a filmmaker but then you have this kind of strange power that you in in the editing process where in the same way like gestation and and offspring that then you're you're kind of um, deciding how these things happen and you're kind of in control of that's not like birthing. You, you have control of, of how this looks and, and works. But that's important for it to be kind of a rich, multi layered experience, almost like a, a visual collage of all these different things that happened and reflects layers of time, particularly as well.
0: And also, that description of your practice seems to me to echo quite a lot of this kind of process of undertaking a PhD as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the clearest examples from your piece that came to my mind was the the very brief description of the radical fairy group that held a kind of ritual against, um, we could say, gentrification. And at the end yeah, of the piece, yeah. you, you dwell on gentrification as well. The gentrification of the countryside and the erasure of these liminal spaces for various reasons. And so, too, have you mentioned Marxism? So, I wonder, like, what what in in your practice responds to capitalism and the way that it changes land? What forms do those responses take?
1: Yeah, I suppose it's it's a kind of like a, a massive thing to say to say that you like challenging capitalism. It's such a huge statement. <laughs> I think in I just, I found it so interesting that the Fenland was. Basically stolen by by the British Crown from a huge community of people that had that were Fen people, water people that that for, for centuries had nurtured and and understand and passed on how you could live in these wetlands that were nearly impossible to to, to live in. It was a completely different societal structure, probably from the rest of the country. And then there was this act of inner colonialism, you know, where the king demanded that they be drained with mechanical equipment. And this super rich, fertile land was revealed that created huge amounts of money for the crown. So, yeah, this kind of like inner in colonialism. And I immediately thought of how that was comparable to the loss of queer spaces and with, say, like gay pride, how it being how certain aspects of it have been co-opted by corporate companies so what i'm doing and the act of art making is queer reproduction and working with other people we're kind of challenging societal norms and and methods of of production so the artwork is is made with things from the land Uh, we come together as a group and there's an alternative forms of labor like exchange between us as artists so making this kind of um, stand and also in a particular area where the landscape has that very much changed it was a cruising ground when I was younger and I I can remember going into the post office in the town nearby and hearing two ladies talking to each other and saying um Settlethorpe is where gay people go to do gay things and and uh what what are these gay things <laughs> <laughs> There is the kind of the capital aspects and how these places have become like, you know, caravan parks for holidaymakers, which is wonderful for people that want to visit there and things like that. But I suppose, yeah, there's the idea of the the loss of spaces and the idea that that land was co-opted by queer people and how things have shifted and changed.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering about this temporal connection, this temporal drag and the way that you're mixing your artistic practice with what is there and has always been there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And do, do, do you dwell on this kind of temporality of a connection to the past, birthing of the future, and then this like kind of present day speculation? I can imagine it could be very disorientating.
1: I have like a real affection for like what might have happened in the past. A kind of imagining, kind of being like a mad magpie and kind of harvesting scraps of kind of heritage, like hidden heritage and then bringing that together and reimagining what that might have been and then having like like i say like having an affection to these characters that we can can find lots uh, of evidence about and feeling feeling as though you're in some kind of continuum and that the, this kind of proposed perhaps hidden queer heritage then relates to ourselves and what's happening now you know and what might be in the future so it again becomes like a ritualistic practice
0: is all practice or all artistic practice ritualistic in that sense?
1: Yeah, that's yeah. Perhaps so. As artists, artist as magician or or, or scientist or or spellmaker, there's so there's so many connections to to the act of of making and doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I would say specifically in what I do in because there is the the connections to the pre-Christian and the, and the, and the pagan and, and, and practice, practices that would have happened and re- kind of relating the methodologies to those and, and also to the mediumship as well, the those kind of ritualistic practices uh, that relate to mediumship and seances that have kind of informed my art making as well, has kind of made it ritualistic.
0: If through your production there's also this kind of queer reproduction and it can be found in so many places, how are you going to be able to decide... When to stop producing for the PhD?
1: Yeah, it's been been very very difficult because there are so many kind of interesting threads. There's so many kind of threads to pull together in the research that I'm making and discovering such kind of rich material to 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 follow and and use. I'm still following those now in my, in my third year. And we'll be working in the summer in, in another project of taking over a piece of land with a group of artists and uh, living together for a few days and uh, producing artwork of our own, but together. And I see that as kind of like the pinnacle where we'll take over this piece of land. We, we will, it will almost be like this queer fort where we live and work together and produce artwork. So I see that as being kind of like the, the crescendo of that kind of research and and making. But yeah, it's been been a really fabulous and interesting method of working and I can't see myself not working in that way. It's a strange thing to imagine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And yet, it makes perfect sense. It sounds absolutely magic. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) James Chantry is an artist and PhD researcher at De Montfort University Leicester in fine art by practice. Their research explores the links between the supernatural and queer identity in specific liminal geographic locations such as the fens, marsh, and edgelands. Find out more about James's work at their website jameschantry.co.uk. This concludes our two guest episodes for the Technecast, which featured a community workshop and creative research presentation from the Outsiders 2022 conference. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, and you'd like to find out more about Outsiders, then follow us on Twitter at Outsiders2022, or on our website, which is linked in the show notes. Thank you so much to Polly, Julian and Felix for the opportunity to make some more space, this time sonically, at the queer intersections of inside and outside. And if you have some fascinating research to share in this way, you can find the Technicast Call for Papers via their website. The link's in the show notes. Bye for now.